It's been quite a week, hasn't it? Ooh, we were at Frozen Junior on Friday night uh, over in Founders Hall, and everyone that I talked to on Friday, I said, how are we doing? And every person I talked to said, man, it's been a week. Uh, there were folks who were retired who said things to me like, it's really stressful right now to have our entire livelihood wrapped up in the market. Uh, there was a guy here at the church who works in uh, medical sales. He says, most stressful week of my entire career. We had uh, doctors uh, at, at, over in Founders Hall that night, and they said, you know, our patients are calling. We just don't even know what to tell them. We had business folks in the room who said, I've never had a week like this. I mean, 08 was crazy, but man, this was nuts. It's been a week, hasn't it? I'm so glad that we've come here this morning, though. I'm glad that we're here to remember, yes, that the world is fragile. Our lives are fragile, yes. But the promise of our faith is that we are held in God's eternal arms every day of our lives. And so that was just as true last Sunday as it is this Sunday. And I'm grateful that we are together as a community this morning. And I pray that uh, this, through this hour of worship, you will come to know God's love and God's promise for you in a new and deepening way, even in these unsettling times. If you're just uh, joining us, you need to know that it's the second Sunday in Lent. Lent is a, a church term for the 40 days and 40 nights that lead us up to Easter. And as a community this year, uh, our Lenten journey is focused on Jesus's final week, what we uh, call in the church Holy Week. And so as a community, uh, this Lenten season, we're going to look at each day of Jesus's, uh, each day of Holy Week throughout the season of Lent. So last Sunday, uh, we looked really in depth at Monday. And so today we're going to look at Tuesday. But before we dive into Tuesday, I want to remind us as a community, uh, we're, we're using the Gospel of Mark as our primary lens. We need to remember that the Gospel of Mark was the first gospel written. It was written 64 years after Jesus' birth, or others say 30 years after he died. Mark is the shortest gospel. It's 16 chapters long. Uh, we, uh, modern scholars, almost all agree on nothing, but they do agree on this point. They agree uh, that, the, that the manuscript for Mark was used by uh, the gospel writers of John, Matthew, and Luke. They all had the, the manuscript of Mark when they wrote their gospels. Here's the interesting thing about the gospel of Mark, six, 16 chapters long. Nearly 40%, if it were just me, I would say 40%, but to some of you it would bug, 37.5%. There you go. 37.5% of the gospel of Mark deals only with Holy Week. Think about that. Nearly 40% of the entire gospel is in Holy Week alone. Check this out. Tuesday, we know more about Tuesday than we know of any other day in Holy Week. We have 115 verses dedicated to Tuesday. And you may be like, what's the big deal? Okay, uh, Thursday, 60 verses. Friday, 45 verses. I mean, the day they kill him, you would think he would get a couple verses. 45 verses. Of the 115 verses that we get on Tuesday, two-thirds, 
Two-thirds of those verses are about Jesus in conflict with the authorities at the temple. Two-thirds of 115 verses are about Jesus in arguments with the temple authorities. The other third are about Jesus saying that he's going to destroy the temple and how Jesus is actually the son of man. Which is sort of a slap in the face to the authorities because they believe them, the authorities, uh, the emperors, thought that they were the son of God. They literally thought they were the son of God. So Jesus is saying, I'm the son of man. Two-thirds of 115 verses are about Jesus being in conflict with the temple authorities. Remember, the temple's huge. 250,000 people have come to the temple uh, for the Passover festival. I sort of have this image in my mind when I think about Tuesday. Every January, when, uh, when I served the church in Atlanta, every January, I would lead a group from our church in Atlanta to Cuba. We had a 25-year mission relationship in Cuba. And I always loved uh, taking our group to a particular section right there in Havana, just uh, across the street from the Capitol building. There was a giant square, and every day from sunup to sundown, there would be a, a group of about 100 uh, primarily men, and they would argue. I mean, really scream at one another. The first time I saw it, I thought, someone's going to get punched right in the face, you know, that kind of arguing. And so I went to our guide the first time I was there, and I said, they seem to really be passionate. And our guide said, oh, yeah. And I said, what could they be arguing about? They, are they arguing about politics in Cuba? And our guide said, no, 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 something much more important than that. And I said, oh, are they arguing about uh, rations and the food shortage in Cuba? And she said, no, 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 it's much more important than that. And I said, are they arguing like religion? She said, no, way more important than that. And I said, what are these guys arguing from sun up to sundown? She said, oh, the most important thing. And I said, what is it? And she said, baseball. <laughs> I said, from sun up to sundown, they argue baseball? And she said, yes. I said, what is there to argue about? She says, who's the greatest player right now? And I said, they argue about that? And they said, she said, yeah, but they also, uh, they also argue whether the greatest player right now is better than the greatest player ever. And I said, from sun up to sundown, they do this? And she said, yes. And I said, have any of these people ever played baseball themselves? And she said, no. And I said, how could you feel so passionately about something that you've never played yourself? In the temple, during the week of Passover, there were a lot of people arguing about the intricacies of faith, they were arguing about the nuances of faith that keep us trapped in our head, and I wonder if they had ever played the game themselves. Or if it's something that they only argued about in the temple courts. I wonder if uh, during Passover, uh, if they're arguing about the nuances, about the theology of faith, to keep themselves at arm's distance so that that faith never had to take on flesh in their lives. Two-thirds of 115 verses, two-thirds of 115 verses are about Jesus being in conflict with the temple authorities. And in order, I think, to uh, understand Tuesday, we got to go back to Monday. We got to go back to Monday and realize uh, and read what happens before Jesus walks in and flips the tables over in the temple. That was last week. If you missed it, you can catch up. It's online. 
And we got to hear what happens before then so we can understand what Jesus is saying after. So we're going to turn to uh, the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And I'm going to read, I'm going to read this all the way through because it's really important. I think these uh, three sections that I'm going to read interpret one another. Uh, the reformers say uh, scripture should always interpret scripture. Marcus Borg, the great scholar, says that uh, the gospel of Mark is broken up into three section chunks the whole way through in order to interpret itself. And I think he's right. Listen for the word of the Lord to all of us this day. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see whether perhaps he would find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. And when the chief priest and the scribes heard it, they kept looking for a way to kill him. For they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. All right, here's Tuesday. This is what happens. Ready? In the morning, on Tuesday morning, as they, that's Jesus and his whole posse, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look! The fig tree that you cursed has withered. Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will come to pass, it will be done for you. So I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your father in heaven may also forgive you for your trespasses friends this is the word of the lord thanks be to god so was jesus just grumpy i mean what did the fig tree do to him did he have to wake up an extra hour early that day did he miss an hour of sleep I mean, why did Jesus, when seeing a fig tree, walk up to it and curse it to be dead? Did he not know that it wasn't the season for figs? Should we uh, read this text literally? If we read it literally, then we are led to believe that Jesus can get uh, sort of smiteful with any of us. Uh, you don't do what Jesus likes. Curse be you. I hope you wither away and die. That's certainly one way to read this text. It's certainly one way to read this text and to understand your whole faith, but I don't find that as compelling of an interpretation. And this is why. I know just a little bit, this much about fig trees. 
And uh, what I've learned about fig trees comes from my grandparents, my nana and my papa. They have a fig tree in their yard in South Carolina. This is what I know about fig trees. Fig trees have some of the deepest root systems of any tree on earth. These are not like pine trees whose uh, roots stay at the surface and tip over in the first bit of wind. No, fig trees, their roots seek out aquifers underground. They go so deep that they want to find their own water source. So I can't imagine that Peter, when uh, they're walking by the next day, says, hey, Jesus, I can see the roots. They're withered away. No, you can't, Peter. They're so deep into the ground. Here's the other thing that I know about fig trees. Fig trees can look really healthy on the outside. They can uh, be a tree full of leaves. And you would think that is the most gorgeous fig tree I've ever seen. It can appear to be healthy and strong. But that doesn't mean that it will produce fruit. Here's the thing. There is a fig wasp, true story, fig wasp that is, its whole job is to pollinate the fig tree every single year. And if that fig wasp doesn't do their job just right, that means that that tree will not bear fruit for an entire year. You can have a fig tree that looks completely healthy but doesn't bear fruit. Uh, this is what else I know about figs. Uh, during the season of the Passover, it was March and April. It was not the season for figs in the ancient Mediterranean. Jesus should have never expected figs to come from that tree. But even more importantly, this is what I most know about figs. Figs take a long, long, long time to grow and to ripen. Anybody ever had a fig fresh off a fig tree in here? Yeah. How long do you have when you have to eat that fig before it spoils? About 10 minutes, right? Three days. If you don't eat that fig in three days, it spoils. A fig tree is not like a lemon or a lime tree where you can walk up and pick uh, fruit whenever you want to. Fig trees are special. You have to pick that fruit when it is really ripe. It's the reason that you can't go to Whole Foods right after worship today and walk into Whole Foods and say, uh, can you point me in the direction of your uh, fresh fig section, please? They'll look at you uh, dumbfounded. They might be able to show you the dried fig section, but they cannot show you the fresh fig section. This is what I know about figs. If you don't eat them at the right time, they're either spoiled or they're hard. This is why my Nana, every single year, gets fresh figs, lets them almost get to the point of spoiling, and she makes the best fig preserves on the planet. I mean, it is the most delicious thing that you've ever eaten. And there is a chance that my Nana is watching live stream this morning. And hi, Nana. And this is what makes me her favorite grandchild. I say things like this about her in public all the time. My Nana makes the freshest fig preserves. Knowing this about the fig tree is not so much about Jesus' righteous anger. I think Jesus is saying, this fig tree is actually just like the temple. It looks really, really, really healthy on the outside. 
It looks strong on the outside. But that temple's not producing any fruit. That temple actually hasn't produced fruit in so long. I don't even know why it's there. The reason I say this is because for 115 verses, two-thirds of them, uh, they are arguing and trying to trap Jesus in matters of faith that have little to do with producing fruit. They try to trap Jesus uh, with questions like this. Jesus, if uh, my brother's wife dies, who should take care of her? Let's be really clear about this, my dear friends. If your faith is a, a faith that is producing fruit, you're not asking that question. If you have to ask, we got some work to do, right? We take care of our community. We take care of those in our family. Uh, they tried to trap him, and they tried to say, uh, Jesus, do we pay taxes to Caesar? Do we pay uh, taxes to God? Oh, is that a question? <laughs> that if our faith was producing fruit that is really all that relevant? We might say it this way. Uh, do, do, do I give pre- or post-tax? If you have to ask, maybe we've missed the whole lesson on generosity, my dear friends. They're trying to trap him in uh, head games, in theological points. And Jesus is saying, ah! Faith is not something that we just come to the temple and we debate. Uh, faith is not something that we want to appear really strong in and not bear fruit. Faith is something that we are to live out, outside of these walls. Faith is not meant to be an intellectual exercise so that we can keep faith at arm's distance. No, faith is we're supposed to bear fruit in the world. Yeah, but Matthew, what does that look like? Uh, Sarah Ruffner, it's been a year ago or so. Uh, she was working one weekend. She's a physician's assistant with the cardiothoracic surgery group at uh, Medical City. Don't ask me how to spell any of those terms, by the way. But she works one out of every five weekends. She's working this weekend. She came home on a Sunday, and I said, uh, how was work today, sweetie? And she said, uh, the work was great. We had a really interesting case. And I said, really? What was so interesting about your case? She said, we had a pregnant woman, um, 24 weeks pregnant or so. And I said, that's not really, uh, that's not that common. Did she have a, a heart issue? And she said, oh, no, no, no. It wasn't for her, it was for um, the child. And I said, what do you mean? She said, uh, at 24 weeks old, uh, the baby uh, had a, a, a heart defect. And I said, okay. And she said, it was a really fascinating case. Uh, we had a surgeon come in, and they opened up the mother, and they went in, and they uh, fixed the heart of this child and they placed the child back in the mother's room and they sewed the mother up and she said the most fascinating part of the whole case is that that woman is going to give birth 18 weeks from now naturally isn't that an interesting case she said Whew. I looked at her and I said do you have any idea what you just said I mean, were you listening to yourself out loud? That is the most holy thing I have ever heard in my life. 
You're telling me that some surgeon somewhere opened up a woman, fixed a child, closed the woman back up, and that child will enter this world? Yeah, that's what I'm telling you, Matthew. That's fruit. That feeling that you have deep within your bones, and if you don't feel it, I am so sorry, but that feeling is awakening every cell within you to the fruit. And the people in the temple would ruin that story by asking this question. Well, was the surgeon a believer? I mean, did the surgeon profess Jesus? I mean, did he do it knowing that his gifts were from Christ? Are you kidding me? Oh, you ruined the whole thing when you asked that question. Don't ask that question. Recognize the fruit. Towards the end of the day on Tuesday, uh, the chief priests, the scribes, uh, the people in the temple, they pull Jesus aside and they're trying to trap him one more time. And they say, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. If you're a surgeon who is doing that kind of work in the world, I don't care what you're professing. It doesn't matter to me. Every cell within you is glorifying the living God. But Jesus doesn't stop there. They, uh, he said, Jesus says the second is uh, like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, but what does that look like? I was at a coffee shop on Friday trying to finish up the sermon. Uh, I had to drop off uh, soccer stuff to Olivia. We had forgotten to pack it, and so um, I had to run up to school and give her her soccer stuff, and I went to a coffee shop that I really have never been to. I was working on this sermon, and I was trying to wrap it up, and I was uh, thinking, oh, man, fruit. Uh, how, how does our faith take on fruit in the world? And um, I noticed that the manager who had been working behind the counter all uh, day or at least for the hour I had been there, a bearded guy, right? Looked like he worked in a coffee shop. Took, to, took off his apron. He said his goodbyes to all his friends, and then he did the most interesting thing. He walked around the counter from where he had been standing all day, and he placed an order for himself. And I thought, God, if I had been working here all day, would I want to eat this stuff? Not the point. A homeless guy walked in. Looked like he had been on the street for uh, weeks. And he walked up to this manager. The homeless guy didn't know this guy was the manager. He didn't see him in the whole getup. He just knew, knew him as a guy in line. The homeless guy walks up and he says, man, I'm really hungry. Uh, would you mind, could you buy me a sandwich? And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, this is perfect. He's the manager of the store. He's going to be able to say to all of his friends, hey, we have some of that food that's expiring. Let's just give it to him and we won't have to charge him. That's not what he did. Maybe that's what I would have done. This manager uh, of the coffee shop said, I'll absolutely buy you a sandwich. And he picked up a sandwich from the cooler and he put it on the counter and he opened his billfold and he got another $5 bill out of it and he paid for the guy's sandwich. And then they went to the table. I swear to you. Both of these guys went to the same table 
and they ate their meals together. That's bearing fruit in the world, my dear friends. And we could ruin it with all kinds of stories and questions about the temple. Well, they didn't do it because he loved Jesus. Not the point. Did he do it because he believes every word in the Apostles' Creed? Oh, stop. Stop. Is every cell within your entire being right this second awakened to the holiness of the moment? Okay, then. That's it. The invitation, my dear friends, as I see it, is for our lives to bear fruit in the world. The invitation of the entire gospel is for every cell, every fiber of our being to glorify God so that we bear fruit in the world with all of our hearts, with all our minds, with all our souls, and with all, with all of our strength, and then for us to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's it. So the question is, here's the question. Are our lives bearing this fruit in the world? Are our lives seeking to bear this fruit in the world? Or do we just look like we're really healthy and strong? <laughs> do we look like the part Because there's a difference between looking the part and bearing the fruit in the world. So the invitation of Tuesday of Holy Week is this. Bear fruit. You actually don't have to try that hard. Because it's the grace of God that will bear that fruit in and through your life. I just pray, my dear friends, we can get out of our own way and out of our own heads enough to recognize the holiness as it happens. Will you pray with me? For all the many ways that we recognize the way that you work in and through us, oh God, we give you great thanks. And for the ways that we completely miss it, we ask that you would give us eyes to see that our entire beings would be tuned to your spirit in the way that she moves in and through the world. Thank you for the gift of this time together. May these words take on flesh in our lives and in the world. For we pray in your holy name. Amen.